Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Life of a King. I'm scared, man. Two decades in the joint. Nobody wants to hire an ex-con. Just keep your eye on the end game. Everything will fall into place. Mr. Brown, would you mind doing me a quick favor? Everybody, have a seat. You here to clean the blackboard? Come on, y'all. Have a seat. Oh, what? You some kind of tough guy? You want to find out? Huh? These kids, man. They see that easy money is the only way out, and I don't blame them for thinking that way. Anybody know how to play chess? And everyone on the board is here for one reason and one reason only. To protect the king. In here and in life, you must think before you move. Check me. Where'd you learn how to do that? It's just a simple, stupid game, man. You ain't got no job, you ain't got no money, you ain't got no opportunity, nothing. And this is your life. One mistake. And it can be taken away. You know you got a ticket out of this place. You just need the discipline. Let's go. If you want to throw your life away, so be it. But he's with me. Chess is no different than life. I didn't see the end game, and it cost me, man. It cost me big. And then I learned. What did you learn? I learned the board. You started something here. Now listen, no trash talking, no cursing. Just play your game. No trash talking, no cursing. That is my game. You ready? As I will be. Isn't creating a champion what this is all about? No, sir. It's about learning how to play the game. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator from Galax Media Group, George Alexander, and tonight's guests, Jake Goldberger and Cuba Gooding Jr. Wasn't as cold out here as I thought it might be. I was wrong. So welcome everyone to this uh, great presentation with Mr. Cuba Gooding Jr. and this great director, uh, Jake. Goldberg, Goldberger, and uh, if you haven't seen the film, it's, it's fantastic. I know you just saw a trailer. I'm really, really uh, moved by this film, um, and I hope you do go out to see it on January 17th. So first, Jake, I wanted to talk about what inspired you to do this film. When did you learn about this gentleman in this film, Ju Eugene Brown? Well, you know, I had, I had first heard the story uh, of Eugene literally 10 years ago. And that's how long it took for us to get the movie made. So when, when I first came on, my producer had seen a segment uh, on Eugene on Dateline or, or a show of that nature, and he ran it by me, and I said I'd love to do it. At that point, you know, neither he and I had, had made a movie. We were just really inspired by the story. So I wrote, um, I wrote the script based on a, uh, another draft by a couple of other guys, uh, David Scott and Dan Wetzel. And, uh, we, we started grinding away, and it took a decade. Now, the thing about this film, because it is inspired by a true story, 
How obligated did you feel to stick to the truth or what liberties did you take to, to make it creative and to keep it, you know, entertainment? You know, I definitely took, took a few liberties because at the end of the day, if a true story, you know, it, it has to be interesting and the narrative has to work and, and the themes have to work. So there are certain things here and there that I definitely, uh, you know, fudged. But it, it, well, I did. But at the end of the day, if you show anybody's life, you know, you want to make somebody's life interesting, which Eugene's already is, but you really want to make all the themes uh, come to life, you, you've got to do certain things. So, so, and Eugene's seen the movie and he loves it and is very, you know, he's very proud of it. Excellent. Now, now Cuba, you've played a number of real life, uh, real people in your, in your career. You've done Men of Honor and Red Tails not too long ago, and you also did radio. What uh, attracts you to these, these types of characters and how do you prepare and what attracted you to Eugene? I think if there is a theme to the roles that I get attracted to, these real-life characters, I mean, even to some degree, Boys in the Hood, it would probably be that there is something about that family nucleus that is explored in these tales of these men, this father-son relationship, you know? Um, if you think about even the butler, he told the civil rights story through the eyes of this butler's family and the relationship that he had with his son. I think those stories were stories that when I was going to school, I didn't have that there were great black men at the head of family households doing great things for our nation and taking care of their families. You know, I was a breakdancer. I was, you know, running in the street and all my buddies had mothers, but nobody had fathers. So now, as I grow older and I hear these real-life stories of these men doing these amazing things, I want people to know about it. I want to spread the word that, you know, you know Barack Obama's presidency was an eventuality and not something that just happened as a fluke. You know, there are great Americans, not just white Americans, but Asian and black and Hispanic Americans that have done great things for this country. And I... I, uh, so, so anyway, my long-winded way of saying whenever I get a script that tells another page of our story, uh, you know, I, I, I jump all over it. Thanks, Mom. My mother started this. Right, and the good She's thing about here. <laughs> but if she was, she would be clapping. Uh, that's one thing I did find very attractive about the movie, that you have these really human characters, so these, these, these black men who have strong relationships with each other, who are very supportive of one another, who, who are real people, three-dimensional characters. Jake, how did you get to that humanity in these characters? What was your process? Well, it started off as a musical. And that's right? right, of course. You should see the other cut. Um, you know, for me, the most important thing, as you were asking before, well, are there certain things that you have to connect the dots yourself? It was so important that the story of this man's redemption was clear throughout the movie. So as much of his, as chess is an important part of the story, this man's redemption um, was incredibly important to me also. And that was really my blueprint for, for building the story. Why don't we go to a clip? Because in the movie, you see Cuba's character, Eugene, who's really trying to find his way back into society, which unfortunately a lot of black men are. We have a high incarceration rate with black men in our, in our country. And Eugene's character really represents this type of character. Why don't we go to the clip with Eugene. Uh, it's called Job Application, this scene.
cut to the chase. I'm a real hard worker. I'm disciplined. I keep to myself. Well, I, I haven't even given you a job description yet. <laughs> well, whatever it is, I'll get it done. You know, we've been losing our funding left and right, so uh, the pay wouldn't be very good. I understand. How long have you known Billy? Since I was 14. Well, he speaks highly of you. Like I said, the, uh, the pay won't be good, and the kids, well, they are um, a handful. <laughs> well, I'm real good with children. I got two beautiful kids of my own. I know how to handle them pretty good. Well, when would you be able to start? Yesterday. So, so Cuba, what is your process? What was your process for preparing for Eugene? Did you meet the real Eugene? And what was that process like? Well, that's a very interesting question because I had uh, filmed The Butler in, uh, 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 where are we, 2013? So 2013, last year's 2013, the summer of last year. And it went over, so it pushed my next movie that I shot in New Haven by two weeks, so I had to go directly from one set to the other set. And that film is in, still in pre-production, but my agent called me on that set and said, now, mind you, this is two weeks prior to Thanksgiving, he says, so we just got an offer for you to do this story of this guy, real life guy, we know you like these stories. I said, no, 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 I'm done, I can't, I've been on the road. Prior to that, I was in Australia, I was like, no, I can't. He, my agent says, you just read the script and then we'll pass on it because there's no money here. <laughs> you know, there was nothing. So I said, okay. So I read the script and said the F word out loud on page four. Fine. Because I was, fine, I'm in. Yes, that's it. But I knew after reading it, it was God's will that I'd be involved in it. So I said, is there a way for them to push this? You don't know any of this, but or you might know. Is there a way to push it till after Christmas? And they were like, no, the way they're funded, they have to go now. And so I went, I wrapped uh, Carry Me Home, which is the movie I did in New Haven, got on a plane on like, a, let's say a Monday, landed at noon, went directly to the wardrobe fitting, went to my own bed that I hadn't slept in but four weeks out of that year, and then woke up the next day and was on his set. So no, I didn't meet the real Eugene Brown <laughs> until the last day of filming. Yeah. And he was there and he was very excited about you know, telling his story, but very shy and introvert. And it was interesting because I was glad that I didn't meet him before. Because maybe he was intimidated by the, the scene that we were shooting or whatever, but and I don't want to cut you off, but I play him in command of his surrounding in the movie, when you see the movie. I mean, he's dealing with these kids who are dealing, who carry guns, these kids who dr deal drugs and aren't afraid of authority figures. So I had to play him with authority above and beyond th that aspect. And uh, it was interesting because the one common theme that I kept saying to myself, is the nobility of what he accomplished even though he came from such meager beginnings and actually went down a wrong road. He still had to have a nobility of spirit. And I think I saw that in him, and I know now I saw it in him, but the day I met him, I was 
very nervous about that disrupting this character that I had built based on what I thought would be his personality. I totally agree. Yeah, it's a real choice. You know, we talked, Cuba and I had a long conversation um, a couple nights before we started shooting on the phone because we didn't actually meet, you know, when we met in person, which is amazing. It was, we were shooting, you know, I started to shoot with some of the kids in the classroom and Cuba comes on set, we shake hands, he gives me a pat on the back, walks in front of the cameras, go, all right, let's start. Um, but but I, th I think meeting Eugene could really disrupt the process up front. I think we have to make a decision and make choices about how we're going to play or how you're going to play the character. And you don't want we, How we are going to play the character. There you go. Because as a yeah. director, yeah. I say this a lot of times. It's like you're the actor. You have an interpretation and you have things. And then the director comes in and he has his interpretation and influences your performance. And you say, yeah, it's your performance. Uh-uh. Your performance, you surrender to him. And then he in the editing room decides what at the, the day it is. So it's our performance. It's true. There you go. Yeah. And, and after the first week of shooting, you and, I, you and I spent about 15 minutes talking about how we felt the week went and I, you know, how we felt the character was developing. And we were completely on the same, you know, we were on the same page right off the bat, which is a, which is a real, a really, really good thing in a situation like this when we shot the entire movie, the entire movie in 15 days. Wow, so, that's so you can only imagine if he and I are not on the same page, we're in trouble. Yeah, or, or the DP. Or the DP, yeah. My DP yeah. was amazing. Mark and is amazing. Yeah, Mar Mark Schwartzbart, who was uh, my DP. The movie looks amazing. You know, I mean, you guys have to remember, usually on 15 days, if you're talking about 15 days, you're talking about a horror movie that takes place in one room. You know, I mean, yeah. really. And, and so for us, we have, we have, you know, tons of locations and schools and chess tournaments and the whole thing. So everybody really needed to be on the same page. Most importantly, Cuba and Mark, my DP. Oh, excellent. Why don't we go to another clip and then we talk about how you guys did collaborate. And after you see this clip, we're going to go to the classroom when Eugene confronts his students with, on chess for the first time. One of the first times. Ah, uh, yes, the pawns. They are the front line. They will be casualties. Born, man. Kids game. What you read? Let me put it to you this way, way you'll understand. Think about it like this. Uh, who's your supplier? Hey, you tripping? Hey, I know you ain't growing that weed you're selling, and so does everybody else in here you're trying to sell it to. So who's your guy? Huh? Are you ace in the hole? <laughs> trying to protect your king. I like that. Okay. All right, well then let's call this King uh, Perry. King Perry it is. Now King Perry has an army and you're a part of it. But the problem is, you think you're out there doing the king's business, all you're really doing is sacrificing yourself. Like the pawn you truly are. It ain't like that, B. It's exactly like that, partner. Now if you want to keep making the same mistakes for a king who could care less about your ass, out there is the board to do it on. But if you want to learn how to make the right maneuvers, this is where you do it, right here, on this board. Now, with a scene like that, Cuba, uh, obviously you had an idea what that scene would, how it would run in your mind when you read the script. Uh, how did you and Jake, you said you were pretty much on the same page from day one. Um, were there anything, was there, was there anything where you perhaps had a different idea within that particular scene, or? 
for me to be completely, to be honest with you, when, when the second I met Cuba and we got into the room, there was really very little actual direction um, from me to him because he was playing the part exactly how I had envisioned it. Um, and we would talk a little bit, but, but at the end of the day, we would just look at each other and you would know that I got what I wanted. And, and no, not at the end of the day. Throughout the course of the Throughout day. Throughout the course of the day, Because exactly. the other thing, too, is when you're doing a movie for 15 days with no money, with a lot of first-time actors. You'll see this movie, when you all see this movie, know that a lot of these, and you can tell them the specifics of it, but a lot of these kids were in some kind of acting laboratory or something, and they had never been on a set before. And they had been filming, you know, it's hard enough to act in front of a camera with a room full of people staring at you especially focused DPs going, looking you in your face. So to block that out is one thing. But once you create this world for yourself and you get into the mindset and you're like, all right, I am this student in this high school. Oh, shit, that's Cuba Gooden Jr. There's that thing because I showed up how many days into filming? I mean, I wasn't there on the first day. I was there the second week, I think. No, yeah, you would, you would come. You would, yeah, second day. Yeah, yeah. But I just remember that when I came in that room and I looked around at these kids doing this scene, I was in my mind and so were they. They were in their own, the characters' mindsets. And when we broke for lunch, I said, how you doing today? And a couple of the kids looked at me like, like, why is he talking to me? Like, they were literally living these characters. And it brought tears to my eyes. I didn't tell you this because it reminded me of when Morris Chestnut and Ice Cube and I dealt with Lawrence Fishburne on Boys in the Hood. We were the same way. We were like, we know you did Apocalypse Now. We're going to show you that we can be the character 24-7 like you lived it. And that's exactly what these kids did. And it was just magical. It was magical to watch. And it was that thing where, you know, if a take was not going the right way, I wouldn't wait for cut. I'd be like, like you know, you, you want everybody. And it was also, too, it wasn't just the main characters like that. It was all the extras and people who were working for, like, 25 other. They were, everybody was in, in, in character. It was wonderful. And, Jake, how did you prepare to work with first-time actors? I mean, I could tell that some of these very first faces, what was your process for doing so? You know, after Mary Vernu had given me a, a lot of options, I saw a lot of kids for each role, and I chose the ones that I thought would, would mesh uh, best together and also were right for the role. They and I went and we rehearsed. Um, we took a couple days and we rehearsed every single scene. And then once, you know, I told them at that point that Cuba was going to be doing the movie, obviously at that point they're all, you know, they, they, were, not, they were, were not expecting it. Um, so when it came down to their actual performances, in the time we had, we tried to be as prepared as possible. Cuba was very, very good with them, and that's so important because... If something, if he felt something was off or he and I would talk about something being off, he'd say, give me a minute, and he would talk to them. And it's as simple as that. It really, really brings them a lot of ease. Um, and we would just, we were shooting with two cameras the whole time. So we'd just be rolling around the room, shooting, 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 and we'd shoot the scene, you know, five or six times. And uh, Now, don't just gloss over that, because that was one thing that impressed the hell out of me, is the DP, Mark, what's Mark's last Mark Schwartzbart and uh, Niles Roth, who was his, the second character. And then Niles Roth, the, the, these two men shot this movie like it was a documentary, and, and actually his experiences, Mark's experience, he did a lot of the Sasha Baron Cohen movies, where 
he, what was the thing that he would say? He says, we would set up a scene, not so much as to, to get the truth of the scene when he's working with Sasha. It was to find your exit plan when people realized that this was something they were filming. So it got us, you know, recognizing the truth of the moment so fast yeah. because that's what they were doing. And when they were shooting around the room, like... I'll never forget, we were doing this scene, there was a scene where I visit my son in prison, I hope I don't give the movie away, but I have a son in prison, and I'm dealing with this emotion, and he yelled, cut. But it took me a minute to get out of the emotion, so as I look up, I notice, <laughs> Mark getting listening to shit you're saying, because he's filming, and filming, and filming, and even as I stood up and I'm finally out of the moment, he's still filming and filming and filming, and then finally turned it off. I was like, all right, turn it off. Yeah. Because to him, it was like, he wasn't waiting, yeah. because maybe you weren't seeing what he saw through yeah. the camera lens, and I was, I was just so blown away by that. Yeah, Mark is just an amazing DP. I mean, I would, I would work with him again in a second, and I hope I get the opportunity to. He was great. Great. And uh, Jake, what are, uh, who are some of your influences? What movies influence you? When I saw this movie, I thought of the urban movies of the 90s. I thought of black exploitation movies or movies that were in, in that era, like Cooley High or things like that, that. And then also the music is very, very soulful. I mean, it's hardcore yeah. 70s soul going, going through. Yeah. So it made me think of that era as well. Tell me some of your influences. You know, I try. Mark and I watched a million of the, ch of the standard chess movies, not only chess movies, but ways that we were going to shoot a classroom. So obviously in terms of shooting a classroom, and they're working on way bigger budgets, and, uh, but a movie like Lean On Me, um, obviously fresh, if any of you have seen that, which is, which is really awesome, um, which was done at a small budget, not as small as ours, but, but a super small budget. Also, this is a really weird influence that uh, in terms of the music, in terms of some of how I wanted the movie to feel, especially you know, by the end, is um, believe it or not, the movie Rudy, which, uh, which was a hidden influence for all this. But yeah, we, we watched, for me, the most important thing was to understand how we were gonna shoot A, the chessboard and chess pieces moving around, and B, shoot classrooms, because those are really difficult to shoot. You have to cover a lot of bases. You also have a lot of themes running through the movie, big themes, but what's the big takeaway for the audience? What do you want us to feel and come away with, both of you, actually? Cuba, you always use Well, I keep saying it, that whole family nucleus, you know, the father-son, I mean, you know, it breaks my heart every time I see the news and I see these, you know, I don't care what color you are, but carrying a gun and shooting and robbing people, you know. Who, what male figures did these young men have in their life to say it's okay to take another man's life, you know? Where's the accountability in that? And um, I think that here you have a man in Eugene Brown who went to prison and got out and recognized that he had an opportunity to correct the paths of kids going down the same road he went down. And I think it's, it's movies like this that can be told in such a refreshing way. You know, I, I, there's a reason why we're talking about the DP. I mean, this is a story that's told through time of a man finding redemption through the youth right? Like you said, lean on me and remember the Titans and whatnot. But when you see this movie, I feel it feels fresh. It feels fresh because of the way that the perspective is shown through it, the, the direction and the cinematography. And, uh, and I just hope people recognize that. And I hope kids recognize that. Listen, there was some frustration when I did The Butler, you know, 
Lee Daniels and I went on that press tour with all the other actors in it, and there were some young people who didn't understand the term sit-ins and associate it with the civil rights movement. And that becomes, comes, I believe, from a lack of education of where we've come from as a nation, you know? And a lot of times, the saddest day I ever had was when I was shooting in a prison and this brother walked up to me and he said, Cuba, I ain't shit. I ain't never gonna be shit. And that's why I'm here, because I had nothing to lose, because I am a piece of shit. And if kids think they don't have the capacity to be greater, then they will act desperately. So why not show these kids that you can be the president of, the, you know, of this free country? You can be that. There's no reason why you can't. Excellent. So we're going to open it up now for uh, questions from the audience. Hi. First, Cuba, you're funny and wonderful, so thank you. Yeah. By the way, okay, uh, I love John Landis. What I said yeah. was yeah, funny? You, what I just said was funny No, 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 you, you, no, 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 no. You're what always, I just nice. Said you're always nice and funny. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, your entrance was so I'm hilarious. No, your entrance was amazing. Sorry. But you, Jake, He's like, you, shut up, kid. Yeah, okay. Shut up. I'm okay, okay. interrupting you. Jake, you're great, too. But, okay, I love John Landis movies and then coming to America. Yeah. You are in the movie. That's right. Then you are a customer at the barber shop. My then first Eddie, role. Eddie cut your hair. That's right. right. Then, uh, by the way, I live in the same place. Uh, Eddie and uh, Anthony worked at McDowell Restaurant, Queens. Yeah, but how did you get the role, you know? Then, uh, question for this movie, you know, uh, do you... Are you, do you like, you know, play chess? Are you a chess fan? Then, did, sorry, sorry, then, did you have a time for prepare for this role because I had, you, you had only short time? Then, Jake, uh, how did you direct Oscar winner? And, uh -huh. and then, uh, one more, sorry, this is a funny question. What's your all-time your favorite movie? Thank you. So, so the first <laughs> question, good night. The first, thank you for coming. <laughs> so the first question was... I got it. I well, got it. Okay, first yes. question is, yeah, I auditioned. They had a big cattle call. I went into the casting director, brought me into John Landis. I won that role. Had a big scene, cut the movie out, now I look like an extra. Second question was... Uh, about this chess, movie, chess. chess, I didn't play. I still don't play. I hate to say it. I do, you know, I'm writing now, as Jake knows, and, I, you know, my goal is to do what he does. I, I respect directors so much, so that's what I want to be. And the third, I answered already. Remember, I went from one set to the other, and I met the guy the last day. You got to pay attention. All right, your turn. <laughs> you apologize already. Go, Jake. We're going to take another one, sir. I'm sorry. This is for Cliff Beginning. I oh, am honored yes. to meet you. You are my favorite actor of all time. Oh, Boys in the Hood is my favorite God. movie. Thank and you. I really respect your work. Thank you. Wait till you see Spencer and Mason Gooding. I'm definitely saying that. I see all your movies. No, I'm saying my sons because they one day will. Never mind. Go. <laughs> it was a horrible statement. I'm like you now. See what you started? <laughs> go. I wanted to know what inspired you to be an actor. Is it? Well, I can get two birds in one stone. I was inspired, believe it or not, my father's a singer, lead singer of the group, The Main Ingredient, and he, thank you. Oh, he'll love that. Is this being recorded? Just cut this segment out and we'll send it to him. No, no. I, I, uh, and so being in the entertainment field, you get the privilege of seeing movies before they open. And so when they did the first Superman with Chris, Christopher Reeves, they invited just a select group of 
you know, VIPs and their children to see that movie. And I couldn't understand how that man flew. And I said, that's what I want to do for a living. And that was my, and I, it's true, that was my inspiration to be an actor. And now I'm inspired by directors, you know, because I want to do more than just act. I want to create that story. Out of all characters that you've played in uh, all your movies, mm -hmm. which ones do you relate to the most? Well, you know, I think I relate to the ones that are broken and they fix whatever problem they've been broken by. Guys with adversity in front of them, like Carl Bashir and Men of Honor. These are men that aren't supposed to win, but they do. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's it. I think that, you know, there's a, an emotional core to my artistry that I try to have evident even in my comedies be it a physicality or an, an emotion. Um, so I try to give them humanity. Even in American Gangster, I was playing Nicky Barnes, but Nicky was doing what he felt he was born to do. So there was that passion in that. And I think that's what emanated my performance from that. This question's for Cuba. Uh, for Home on the Range, Range, uh, how do you develop the voice for a buck, the horse? And for uh, <laughs> Snow like Dogs and our radio, what was your experience like and what was it like working with James Coburn and Ed Harris? Oh, well, first you started with the goofy question. <laughs> and then you want to make me cry when you talk about James Coburn. And buck the horse to James Coburn. <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, you know, that was like one of his last films before he passed away. And it was, it was that thing where you just, you know, I, I'm, I'm blessed to do what I do. One, I love what I do, but to work with actors that have influenced a generation of people is the thing that blows me away every day. When I see these men, Bobby De Niro, Jack Nicholson, James Coburn, men that have an impact on cinema history, and to share the screen with them is just, it, it's an honor. As Snow Dogs, can you say the F word? I won't, but it was cold. <laughs> with a capital F. We shot that in Banff Springs, Alberta, 37 below zero. The entire shoot. You can keep it. But I like the dogs. All right, nice talking to you. Hello, this question is directed towards uh, Cuba. What was the most difficult part about playing Eugene? Uh, you know, I think... Um, with any real life character that you're doing something that doesn't disrespect his intent and, 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 and his vision. And so even though it was difficult for me, it was something that I really wanted to make sure I connected with the director because he lived this guy's life. He knew his life. So I had to just let that insecurity go and know that Jake was sure that where I was going was the right direction. So, yeah, that would be the hardest in any real-life story, you know? Because you don't want, you know, I hate to say it, but Master Chief Carl Bashir has passed away. There's a slew of Tuskegee Airmen that have passed away. And all of these men had to see the work that we were doing in their name and approve it. So you hope that they're resting in peace. This question is directed at both of you. 
Jake, when you wrote the script, did you envision the true dramatic antagonist as being the young man who sold drugs and was resistant to the chess concept of the main character? And Cuba, when you walked on the set, uh, determined to act the role of the primary character in the image that you had constructed in your mind because you had never met the real man. Did you see the antagonist more as his past uh, and this uh, unfortunate tradition in our nation of the inordinate incarceration of African-American men, uh, which has civil rights connotations, constitutional and social unfairness? Was it the image that was the antagonist to be defeated as opposed to the traditional dramatic antagonist of a character? I, I, that's a tough... Uh, uh, I will say this, in terms of the antagonist in the movie, um, there's a couple, um, and it was important to me to not go down the, the road of, it, of things being incredibly standard. You know, we were trying to tell a three-act story, but I did not want this to, be, to, to just be one of these movies that just lies there. You know, it was important that uh, there were a couple different obstacles, and remember, in, in you know, every movie, the, the greater the obstacles are at the end of the day, the better you feel at the end of the movie if your main character is able to overcome them. I'm not going to say whether he is or he isn't, but he is. Uh, so, so that's, yeah. The institution and the car incarceration of our youth should only be implied as a last resort. And I believe that. And I think it's an unfortunate thing that we have come to that so quickly in so many different instances throughout history. Um, I feel that the intent of this story is the obvious, is twofold in one obvious way, and that's to show that men and women can right the wrongs of their past, even after living through incarceration. But the other one, and the more complicated one, would be how do we deal with a system that perpetuates this environment through poverty, a lack of education, a lack of opportunity, um, a fractured family nucleus? And, you know, you look at, it's so easy for me to get caught up in the process of this film and tell this story with passion and feel good. Because, you know, we're talking about a lot of shit right now that, we, that a movie is not gonna solve. So I have to cling on the things that feel good. I felt good about the relationship I started with this man telling a story like this, because I know his filmography will, re will reflect those like Lee Daniels that will as a, as a world, as a whole view, as a whole, you'll see that his stories link together a message, a statement as an artist. I feel good about these other actors, uh, specifically Clifton Bird, who, or sorry, Carlton Carl Bird, who played the character Clifton, who was the drug dealer. And yes, he was looked at as the antagonist, but he was a result of the system that needs to be exactly addressed. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. So there were a lot of things to focus on to keep my energy up for this performance, as opposed to getting bogged down. You know, I, I, I'm an actor first. I'm not like, you know, I don't want to shit on anybody, but I know certain individuals use platforms to, to preach. I use my artist artistry, 
you know, to, for you to take the lesson from the experience you had from watching my movies. That's why I don't like talking about my politics or even my personal life. I mean, I do, but then I'll make a joke about it because that's how I think it's best to deflect the attention of it. If you want to look at me, Cuba Gooding Jr., roll the clip. If you want to look at me, the man, you know, you can find me at, on the ice rink or at the, at the gym or at the house with my kids, but that's, 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 those are two separate things, I think. So this, this question is for Jake. Um, Thank God! Yeah, really, this was getting awkward. <laughs> So Jake, is it fun horrible. being up there? This is painful. Sitting next to that man talking his ass. Yeah, he does talk a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> so, um, it's you, Dad. <laughs> um, when I look at the film, I see that this is a predominantly black cast. This is a black story that's it's uh, unique to the African American experience. Um, n not, I mean, there are other cultures you know, who lived through this type of experience, but some of the mindset that um, many of the characters um, would, would exemplify. And again, I haven't seen the film, but I'm just making it, I'm, I'm, this is my expectation. I want to know, what is it about your past, um, your filmmaking, that gave you the confidence to be able to tell this story? Well, remember, I'm coming at it as a writer. So for me, it's not like I was hired through some system uh, for any, you know, cinematic reasons other than I was passionate about the story. So, and, and also speaking to everyone in the cast and all of the, uh, all of the kids who were in the movie, listen, it's obviously, you know, I'm a 35-year-old white guy. It's not, this is not maybe what you were expecting when you got the script. Me too. Yeah, there, there you go. Um, but the story really, really moved me. I always felt very passionate about it and uh, it just touched me, you know, just everything about uh, Eugene and just the idea that this one man, it's not that one man can make a difference, one man did make a difference. I mean, he really, really has. Um, and that was very important to me. But yeah, you know, this question has come up and uh, all I can say is that it, it meant, it really meant a lot to me to be able to tell, tell the story and, uh, and I'm honored I got to do so. And 10 years, I mean, that's a dedication. 10 years, yeah, <laughs> 10 years. Can we get more films out there? I mean, it's, it's, it's good to know about your past because a lot of kids don't know about their past. A lot of black history is being buried quickly. But instead of like reflecting all the way in the past all the time, could we do something to show them that currently, yes, you may live in the projects, you may not live in the best neighborhood, but if you take care of your neighborhood, if you leave the gang banging alone, the, the corner is not the only place that you could go. Between the corner and central booking, there's more to this world. Is there any way we could like get more films, more movies out there that says, look, the world is open to you? You know, everything you just said is, is 100% what we're trying to say in the movie. Um, so, um, from, from my end, it's, I can say it's, it's, and Cuba and I, we were just talking about this, it is so hard to get meaningful movies made. It's so, so hard. I mean, look, this is, we had to, we, this took us 10 years to get together and all we got was 15 days. So what we can do is support movies that have a good moral message um, and that you like, obviously, you know, that, that people actually feel are good movies and just keep supporting them. And that helps the financers. Because remember, where the financers are thinking, 
If you're going to see the movie, they'll make them. They're, they get worried about people not seeing the movies, and that's why they only make the comic. You know, it's just down the middle comic book stuff again and again and again. And we say this, but then you look at the box office reports, and those are the movies. There's a reason they're doing it, you know? So all I can say from my end is, is, you know, keep supporting the movies that you really like, and hopefully it'll all add up, you know? And I will recap, bruh, since you weren't here. But I will say it in three words that should be all-encompassing. Self-esteem, hope, and opportunity is what our youth need today. They need it. And the way that we do that in a cinematic way is show them that historically we are a great people. We're not just maids and pushers and gangsters and pro athletes, but we're doctors, Ben Carson. We're military men of greatness that have done great things. That's how we do it, and that's how we make the change. And also, it's one thing to want to do these movies and nobody see them. It's another thing to want to do these do movies, make them, and they make $160 million at the box office, Lee Daniels, the butler. So there is an opportunity and an audience for these movies, The Best Man and you know Tyler Perry movies and all the movies that are geared towards the inner city youth that they can come and see and enjoy and put their money in. And, and, uh, and it's interesting because there was a fracture of the studio system where it wasn't just the comic book movies that were being you know, wide released anymore. It was the independent movies financed independently that were competing with those movies. And that's what opened the door to the new voices, to the Steve McQueens, to the Ryan Cooglins, to the Jake Goldbergers. These people are not just telling their story, but they're telling yours. And they're telling mine and hers. You know, they don't have any agenda to say he has to be, you know, you know, it's so funny because when I started, and you're right, I do talk too much. But when, when I started in the business, I went on an audition and my agent would send me the script and you would read the parts and look for them to say African-American. Today, I just read the script. Doesn't matter if it's the lead doctor, because I can play him, because I've seen it through the Huxtables and whoever else. So I think that's, you know, there's no answer that's going to everybody go, aha, and leave here. But I think the process, we're in a wonderful time, people. We are. We're in a wonderful time. We have movies that are touching all, you know, 12 Years a Slave, even, is, is a movie that's you know, if that was done as a miniseries back in the 70s, people would have felt guilty. But now they're feeling reinvigorated because it was, yes, it's our history. I mean, these stories are, it, it, there's an audience for this and then in turn creates healing. So, Don't forget, you guys, the movie opens on January 17th in theaters in New York. Well, yeah, in theater, yep. Queens. And, and then Queens. if it does also well, they'll BOD, keep opening time. it and, and spreading it out. So there you have it. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you.